Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Have you ever wanted to look at penguins while they look at you? Or crawl past giant clams? Or see eye to eye with tropical sharks? Well, you can do that and be sure to bring your children when you do, even if you're still a child yourself. Splash Zone was an exhibit at the Monterey Bay Aquarium in Monterey, California in 2000. It was designed for families with children, infants to age nine, but is also very fun for adults. I visited Splash Zone in the summer of 2000 and spoke with Andy Case, the Special Projects Coordinator at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. He was on the team that created Splash Zone. I began by asking Andy Case how an exhibit like Splash Zone is put together. Well, our process here at the Monterey Bay Aquarium is is uh, quite an extensive exhibit development process. And as I talk to colleagues around the country and world, um, it's probably one of these most extensive. But it's also, I think, very thorough and uh, and and it produces a product that is just really well-rounded and meets the the uh, the goals and expectations and sends out the messages that we choose for the for the given exhibition and. So each exhibit would have a different message, yes. a message type? Right, right. Well, talking about Splash Zone, a new exhibit that you have um, for children, what is the message? Well, in a nutshell, the message is, uh, that we wanted to get across was that the oceans are incredible places and they're very exciting, they're very engaging, that children should be um, stimulated to learn more about them. In order to do that, we picked two very distinct habitats that uh, have different stories to tell, but we knew we could build exhibits around them that would be engaging for children, so we picked coral reefs of the world and we picked rocky coastlines of the world. The main message in the coral reef section is that coral reefs are crowded and colorful places to live. And in the rocky uh, shore uh, portion of the exhibit is that rocky coastlines are rough and tumble places to live. So right off the bat you can see we're using uh, themes about color and motion and activity, things that are engaging to, to children. And in order to build learning experiences into the show, we, we have multiple interactives that are kind of like game-like activities. Some of them are as simple as puppet shows or a waterbed to, uh, to play on for, for youngest uh, ages, but all the way up to um, board games where you role play as a hermit crab trying to make it through an average day in a, in a, in a, in a tide pool to water play activities where kids can, can get about it as wet as they want to get. Um, and uh, that is, those are the, the non-living components of the show. Now what I'm uh, primarily responsible for delivering in the exhibit product are the living components. And we wanted to have a lot of living things from around the world to complement these two habitats. Well tell us about some of them, particularly the, um, the color and the motion uh, of the living components in the coral reefs. Okay, well we wanted to start... Coral brings to me the, the concept of this kind of beautiful red, pinkish red. Yeah, there, um, the exhibit starts off with a lot of color and we use some warm colors, reds and oranges, to, to, to start off the exhibit and 
we wanted to kind of create an immersive environment that coral reefs are kind of like underwater crowded and colorful cities and we start that off with the living component of a large uh, thousand gallon display of a living coral community. We have live corals growing I think over 35 species now. Uh, most of them came from either coral farms or other aquariums that are growing them in captivity. Um, we have a variety of tropical fish. Uh, we chose the Indo-Pacific region to focus on for the introduction exhibit, but the, the coral reefs in, that we interpret throughout the show are not limited to just one particular region. It's coral reefs of the world, but the Indo-Pacific really has those colors that you're talking about, so we wanted to start it off with a very rich, crowded, and colorful uh, live coral reef community. What is a coral? Okay, let's see how to describe a coral is an animal. It's not a plant. A lot of people confuse it with a plant because it looks like a like a little bush or a shrub or something, but it's actually related to the to the uh, jellyfish and the anemones. It's in that same group. Um, they have the ability to capture food with small stinging cells. Um, inside their tissue that act like little miniature harpoons, but many corals also have the ability to photosynthesize like plants. So they grow near the surface? They grow in, in areas where the water is clear and, um, and, and very clean. Every now and then you hear a story about uh, someone who is uh, injured or scratched by a coral. Is that from the stinging uh, part of the coral that you mentioned or are they hard like rocks? Well, that, is, that can be answered in a couple ways. There's a species of coral called fire coral which will sting you and leave a really uh, nice bright red mark on you and it'll last for a few days and it's slightly uh, uncomfortable and, but unless you're allergic to it it's simply that just uncomfortable um, but some corals a, a large portion of corals are, are what uh, are, are hard corals they lay down a calcium skeleton and that's the foundation for the reef um, those corals, if you do brush up against them, not only is that really, really bad for the coral, and we talk about that in the exhibit, if you if you're, are visiting a coral reef to swim with care because they are very fragile, they grow very slow, but it's also bad for the person who scrapes against them because that tissue that has this, the, either the photosynthetic tissue and, um, or, and, and or the uh, stinging cells will get embedded in the abrasion. So you in can imagine the skin. So you can imagine if the skin is broken by the calcium, just, you know, even if it's just a shallow scrape, it's putting some of that tissue down in there. So it's just setting the stage for a nice little infection. That's all. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> How do you protect yourself from those kinds of infections? or contacts when you're putting the coral exhibit together? Well, one, we just try to respect the space of the corals very well. When we're working with the hard corals, you just you usually work with them just by holding the very base or maybe the rock that they're attached to and you very gently place it and, some, and either kind of zip tie it or epoxy it in position in a way that the visitor can't see the epoxy or zip tie. Um, with the soft corals, um, it's, it's kind of a similar thing. You 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 uh, you you work with what the coral is attached to. Now I mentioned the fire coral. We just don't have any fire coral, and, and none of the corals that we have here um, really have the ability to sting you too much. That's not. I'm not saying we don't have little. Uh, 
occasionally get little red marks on us, but it's not a problem. And it's, we're mostly concerned about handling the corals for their protection as opposed to ours. And setting it up, you have to do it underwater. Right. Yeah. Uh, we if had, they're out of water, what happens? We, you can transport the corals out of the water, the hard corals out of the water briefly. I mean, you want to obviously keep them moist and move them out of the water. The, the soft corals you would transport in a bucket or a plastic bag. And when we started setting up the large coral uh, introduction exhibit, um, we had filled it full of water and we heat it up and we, we use Monterey Bay water, 55 degree water, but the coral needs to grow in the upper 70s, low 80s, so we have a system on that that recirculates most of the water and heats it up. So um, the aquarists that we're working together and putting to get that, that coral wall um, did don uh, mask and uh, and it's not a big enough tank really to swim in, but they had to stick their head way down in, and we've got great pictures of the of the whole torsos of Aquarius leaning down in there, um, setting up the exhibit. But uh, it it's come together really nicely. What are some of the other components of uh, Splash Zone? Okay, well, as you, I, we've kind of just talked about that introduction area, but right after that, um, you enter a what is a reproduction of what it's like to kind of snorkel or swim through a, a coral reef. We, we have very realistic walls built out of uh, artificial coral and artificial coral over the head and then right after that you see jawfish. It's a very neat little fish that lives in the uh, in, in the substrate, in the bottom of uh, uh, and adjacent to a coral reef and it makes a, makes a living excavating a little burrow and it's named aptly because it has a large jaw and it seems to be perpetually dissatisfied with the decoration around its little burrow and it's always rearranging that or diving back down in its burrow and coming up and spitting out a mouthful of rocks and then, and then readjusting this one. This one they set up little territories and they're very engaging fish to watch. How big is the jawfish? Uh, the species that we have on display now is about three and a half inches long. So this is a small display. It's in a little acrylic bubble, but, but we, with all of the living exhibits in Splash Zone, we design them down low. We design them with large enough windows where uh, people can get up close and get their nose right up next to the animals. We, we want the, the kids to get as close to possible to the, to the exhibit animals. Um, right to the left of the jawfish is a, is a uh, 1500 gallon display of small tropical sharks because all kids love sharks everybody loves sharks but uh, love them to look at yeah <laughs> and uh, and then you turn around and, and another one that's more just something neat to look at rather than interact with for most people or a tank of more eels and you can walk into an acrylic cove it's a five foot in diameter uh, uh, clear window and you can walk into it and be surrounded from shoulder to shoulder with peering out uh, Mal uh, gaping mouths of moray eels out of a coral wall, and um, so that, and that that exhibit's really uh, met or exceeded my expectations. I really watch and enjoy watching people look at the at the moray eels. I'd like to take a moment and say that we're talking with Andy Case, who is a special exhibits coordinator at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And we're talking about a new exhibit called Splash Zone, which is directed at young people who are old enough to walk up to maybe nine or nine, ten. Or, nine, Or yeah. maybe some of us who are even a little older. Yeah, certainly everyone is allowed to come into Splash Zone. And we did gear it towards children and their families. So we built activities around the, the engaging them to work or learn together. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. 
Andy, the rocky uh, coastlines, you move from the corals to the uh, eels to the rocky coastlines? Well, there's some other exhibits in there, and I know we don't have time to go through the whole show, but there's a coral crawl through and a play area. And uh, and then, yes, ultimately transition over to the rocky shores. And as we kind of set the stage, and we were talking about um, how the coral reefs are crowded and colorful places to be, and everything in that portion of the exhibit is, is geared towards getting that point across. When you transition to the rocky shore area, you are encountered with water motion right off the bat, the sounds of waves over speakers, there's uh, a large water play activity, a wave crash that sends a, 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 a 70 gallons of water from left to right along a 24 foot long channel. Just, to, just to, We wanted to immediately change the feel of the space when you transition between the two areas. Um, then when you, when you enter the, the rocky coastline area, you immediately have the opportunity to get your uh, hands in the water. And we have a large water play activity. Water, we learned as we did research with other institutions and working with kids themselves, we would bring in teams of kids and just let them go at it with small mock-ups. And the water play was r ranked real, real high. Just to see what uh, attracts the kids. Yes, yes. They, they have uh, uh, just a great affinity for getting their hands into the water and so we have activities in the water play area that uh, help reinforce that rocky coastlines are rough and tumble places to live and you basically have two choices if you're an animal that lives there. You either hunker down and stick and have different adaptations like sea stars or clingfish that have the ability to hang on tight and hold on when the waves rock around or you go with the flow, like say a reef surf perch. So we have different uh, different lifestyles that we talk about in this uh, habitat. It's very different than a coral reef. Is there a particular um, message or learning that you would like the children to leave with when they um, go home from Splash Zone? Well, the number one thing that we all on the, on the development team wanted this to be was be fun and engaging. Just to fundamentally exciting and fun and interesting and they leave going boy I really really had a good time uh, in Splash Zone. Now what we would like them to transform into in their heads as they go home is is uh, evolve into an appreciation for how wonderful and fascinating and interesting the oceans are and then make another leap and that hopefully as they grow up and they become voters and they become involved with uh, community and potentially conservation efforts that they will support uh, conservation efforts around the world and I know there's a couple of leaps of faith in there and steps but that's what we hope that this ex this this exhibit will inspire the, the next generation of ocean stewards. And then there are the penguins. <laughs> And the penguins, yes. Yeah, tell us about the penguins, with, uh, all suited up and their little yeah. tuxedos. Well, when early on, at the very uh, beginning stages of this uh, development of the show, a little over two years ago, um, we knew that we wanted this, the entire show, to be grander than anything that we've ever done in this space, and and it certainly is that. And we we also knew that we wanted to do a, have a component in it, one particular component, just. Um, that was beyond what we've ever done in a special exhibition before. And we wanted that to be a living component. 
And so as we sat down and we were sitting around with the early development team, we started trying to think of different animals that would fit into this thematic framework that we were setting up, which was coral reefs and rocky coastlines of the world. And we thought it would be best to end the show with this big component kind of as a finale. So that puts it in the rocky coastline area because we had decided it would be best to start with the color and the, and the, and the activity and then move to the coral reefs and the rough and tumble and then so then so it started you know that started gearing us towards one you know rocky coastlines with something big in the rocky coastlines and it has to fit the needs of our audience which is it needs to be engaging it needs to be inter interesting for children and uh, you know, I can't think back on I don't think our list was very long it didn't take us long to realize that uh, uh, penguins that live on the rocky coastline of South Africa uh, certainly are uh, fit all those um, criteria and um, we had the ability the, to to contact co colleague institutions and find some captive raised ones so they're not wild collected all those uh, those those 15 African black-footed penguins that are on a long-term loan from our friends at Aquarium of the Americas in New Orleans um, uh, so they fit our, our desire to, to, to have captive rays when possible. Um, they're engaging, they're, 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 they're rough and tumbled birds, and, and that's, that's, that's kind of a, a, neat, a neat message for kids. It's like you don't think of birds as being rough and tumbled animals. They're little, kind of little football players. They bounce around and they're, they're sturdy, little, tough birds, and, and they, they live in a very rough environment. So they fit everything, and, we, and, and the response has been, uh, you know, at first, two years ago, and we, we decided penguins, I have to admit, there was some uh, internal resistance and, and some kind of, some undertones of, well, penguins at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, uh, you know, that, you know, that's, Monterey Bay Aquarium's kelp forest and tuna and jellyfish and uh, sea otters, what's, penguins, you know, how can they fit in? But I think we did a good job of folding them into this, this very different exhibit and uh, making them feel and look uh, at home in uh, at the aquarium and and the kids love them. The aquarium is not just limited to the sea life of the Monterey Bay. You're bringing things in from all over the world now. Well, the, still the permanent exhibits of the aquarium are of a regional focus. Now we do go outside of Monterey Bay with our outer bay with our outer bay wing where we start to talk about the waters that are um, connected to Monterey um, being the outer Pacific Ocean, but no, it is a region. We are a regional aquarium. We have the deep sea of Monterey Bay. We have the rocky coastlines of Monterey Bay. The the kelp forest, the um, the the sloughs, estuaries, deep reefs. Um, but the, but our special exhibitions, uh, particularly in this space up here, 7,000 square feet, have for the past eight years been from around the world. So it's kind of a pocket area where we do go outside of Monterey Bay. I'd like to take a moment and say that we're talking with Andy Case, who is the Special Exhibitions Coordinator at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and we're talking here at the aquarium. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Andy, tell us a little bit about the uh, uniqueness of the Monterey Bay and the particular depth in the center of the bay that extends out from uh, I guess it's by Moss Landing where the river comes in. Right. There's uh, there's a lot of really special and unique things about Monterey Bay. Um, 
uh, you mentioned the canyon, I can focus on that at first for, uh, in particular, there's a huge underwater canyon right here in Monterey Bay. Now most of Monterey Bay is about 300 feet deep or less, but right in the middle of it, cutting right out from the halfway between Monterey and Santa Cruz, where you mentioned it, at Moss Landing, there's a mouth of the, of the, of the Monterey Bay sub, uh, Submarine Canyon. And it's the largest underwater canyon on the west coast of North America. To give you an idea how deep it is, if you drew an imaginary line from Santa Cruz to Monterey, it's about 25 miles across the mouth of the bay. The deepest spot across that, that gap is about 2,500 feet deep. And that's just, just 15, 20 miles offshore. Now, other parts of the world, you've got to travel hours and hours or sometimes even days to get to deep water like that. Now that, that's not the deepest part of the canyon, that's just within the bay. The canyon continues 60 miles offshore where it's over like three miles deep out there. So because of that, our, our sister institution, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, has a very um, uh, extensive deep sea research program going on in Monterey Bay and, and they're out there I mean, almost every day sending a remotely operated submarine down to explore this this canyon. What drew you here to do this kind of work? Well I uh, oh boy I guess uh, you know I visited the aquarium shortly after it opened and said I gotta work there someday and so I uh, I finished my biology degree that I was working on in Kansas, um, of uh, all places to think of getting a, a, a marine biology background, and my background is actually just in general biology, and I've done the marine biology out here, but uh, it's just a spectacular place to live and work, and, the, and, the, and I think uh, beyond the, um, the fascinating biology and the great uh, uh, um, achievements that the Monterey Bay Aquarium has been able to do over the past 15 years. Uh, the, the people here, the teamwork at the aquarium and, and, the, and the camaraderie and creativity and, and, and positive energy has just been right off the bat. As soon as I started meeting staff here, I knew that it was, it was a, an important place and a, and a great place to be. Do you have place for volunteers? Yes, we yeah. have a... How would a person find out about that? Um, well, probably the best way to find out about our um, uh, volunteer program is to log on to our website at www.montereybayaquarium.org. Um, there's also a general number that you can call, it's 831-648-4800. And we, we have about a thousand people that volunteer here at the aquarium and they're divided up into different groups. We've got over a hundred and 15 volunteer divers that come in to do feeding shows and, and uh, do maintenance inside the exhibits. We have over 700 volunteer guides that act like docents out on the floor. We've got student guides uh, that, that are uh, high school and college apprentices to those, to those uh, uh, docents out on the floor. Um, really, really extensive volunteer program and many institutions that are setting up volunteer programs around the country and world have sent uh, their staff out here to work with ours, try and model, theirs, model their programs after our program here. To train ocean stewards. 
ultimately that would be the the, the ultimate goal is to uh, stimulate interest and uh, and stewardship of the world's oceans. Can you talk about the importance of that? Well, to me, it's it's uh, it's just become my kind of ultimate goal. I mean, this is kind of everything kind of revolves around that. The importance of it, I think, every uh, living thing on the planet relies on uh, either directly or, or indirectly on healthy oceans. Um, Tell us more. Why? Well, we get a lot of food from the oceans, and uh, it's going to take healthy oceans to to uh, provide us with with food. Um, there, there's gas exchange activities where the oceans are producing uh, oxygen for us, and we think we all know how important breathing is. Um, um, there's also just uh, and those are two fundamental kind of biological things, you know, feeding and, and breathing, but there is a, an aesthetic or, a, a, you know, a, a, a curiosity. Uh, there's so much to, to enjoy about the oceans. If it's just as basic as, as, as having uh, clean places to recreate, uh, but also to do research and to learn more about the planet. Um, uh, having healthy habitats to explore and to uh, to enjoy is, I think, in some ways just as important. Andy, uh, what can we look forward to in programs here at the Monterey Bay Aquarium? Well, we, we uh, will be for as long as we can, and hopefully that'll be for uh, many, many years, opening something new every spring. Splash Zone was our big spring opening this year. It's, so what's next? It's going to be up for five years, and but in the meantime, we have uh, a 1,500 square foot display that's going to open next year in a hidden space under our big tuna display, our Outer Bay Waters exhibit, and it's going to talk about uh, the state of fisheries around the world, and it's putting visitors in a space that they don't even know exists. They're, we're putting them under our million-gallon tank. It's a room that already exists, but it's been blocked off. Then, 2002, we're going to open about a 6,000 square foot display that's going to feature jellyfish from around the world. Now, we already do jellies on a pretty grand scale, but they're all local jellies, and this new show is going to be jellies from from all over the place and so we're just in the early stages of that one but it's it's shaping up to be real exciting. Andy Case, thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank and you, thank you for having and me. Before we close I'd like to ask you the question um, about books. Can mm -hmm. you tell us of an interesting book that you've read lately? You know, one, I've uh, probably one of the book that I, that I kind of constantly read and I've, and I've just was reading a little bit of it the other day, and, I, and I'll, it's called Tropical Nature. It's by Adrian Forsyth and Ken Maiata. And it's a, and when I'm not here working at the aquarium on my vacations, I go to uh, very remote areas of Central America to bird watch and camp and take in the, and the terrestrial side of, of uh, uh, tropical nature. And uh, this book uh, covers all the facets uh, of, of tropical nature in such a informative and and entertaining and, and great way. I, 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 that's a great book, and I'm, I'm uh, going to keep reading it. Well, Andy Case, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Andy Case is the Special Projects Coordinator at the Monterey Bay Aquarium in Monterey, California. He was on the team that created Splash Zone, an exhibit for young children. 
The book that he recommends is Tropical Nature by Adrian Forsyth and Ken Mayata. You can learn more about the Monterey Bay Aquarium by going to their website, www.mbayaq.org. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.